specifically Mark 8, uh, verse 31. should be page 769 in your pew Bible. When you find that, I'm going to ask you to stand on the reading of God's Word. I'm actually going to read starting in verse 27 through the end of the chapter, uh, but we're primarily going to look at verses 30, really not 31 through 34, 35 through 38 is what we're going to look at today. So Jesus went out along, along with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he questioned his disciples, saying to them, Who do people say that I am? And they told him, saying, John the Baptist, and others, Elijah, and others, one of the prophets. And he continued questioning them, But who do you say I am? Peter answered and said to him, You are the Christ. And he warned them to tell no one about him. And he began to teach them, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed, and after three days rise from the dead. And he was stating the matter plainly, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning around, seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said to him, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on God's purposes, but on man's. And he summoned the crowd together with his disciples, and he said to them, If anyone wants to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it benefit a person to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? Or what could a person give in exchange for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Title of the message is Following Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we love you today. You are great and awesome. You are worthy of our praise and worthy of our devotion. Lord, we love you and we surrender our lives to you that we could do your will in all things. Lord, we do pray today for our persecuted brothers and sisters around the world. Father, we pray that you would help them to keep their focus on the gospel. And Lord, you would help them to share it the opportunities they have, keep their courage strong and help them not to be backed into a corner where they, where they don't do it. Guide them, Father, as they suffer to have hope, to know you're there, to know they're not abandoned. Let them see fruit from their labors, Father, to see souls saved and, and lives changed. And help us. Help us to be more like them, Lord. Forgive us. Forgive us for not being faithful with the gospel to share it when we have the opportunities. Forgive us for letting fear keep us from doing the things that we know you want us to do. Forgive us for seeing our gathering together in the name of Jesus as something that's optional so long as there's nothing better to do. Forgive us for not treasuring your word as we should. Forgive us for allowing the fear of man to become a snare. Make us bold that we would fear you and we would fear nothing else. God, in the service today, and let your spirit take the word and make it living and active in our lives. We would follow Jesus as we ought to. Use this word to convict us where we need convicting, to challenge us where we need challenging, to encourage us where we need encouraging. Generally, just change all of us that we would be more like Jesus. 
light a fire in our souls and send us out into a dark and a dying world to burn brightly for him, we ask in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. You may be seated. Verse 35 through 38, where we're at, it comes immediately after Peter's confession about Jesus being the Christ. So Jesus asked them who people say he is. They say, he said, but the most important question, who do you say that I am? Peter makes this great confession, you're the Christ. He then begins, Jesus then begins to tell them that he must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders and the chief priests, scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. Now Peter, kind of feeling himself after making that great statement about who Jesus is, he begins to rebuke Jesus, telling him that will never happen to you. You're you're not going to be rejected. You're not going to suffer. You're not going to die. In verse 33, and I don't have a lot of time to get into this, but it's interesting. Jesus turns around and sees his disciples, rebukes Peter. Basically what happens is he sees everybody has heard this. Everybody has heard Peter's rebuke and telling him, no, that's not going to happen. Jesus knows what's at stake with this. Jesus must go to the cross. Going to the cross for him is not an option. It's not secondary. This is the point. And so he rebukes Peter. But he rebukes Peter soundly and he calls him Satan. And he tells Peter, essentially, that, that trying to tell me what I can or can't do, or trying to remove the cross from my life or anyone else's life, that is a, a satanic idea. And the reason Peter has that idea is because he has a, a self-centered, man-focused perspective, right? You're not setting your mind on God's purposes, but on man's. Peter is not focused on what the kingdom will gain through Jesus' death and resurrection. Peter is focused on what he will lose. He, he will lose the presence of Jesus physically with him. He will lose his significance as a disciple of Jesus. He, he will lose much in his mind, but it doesn't matter what God will gain. All he's caring about is what he will lose. So this launches Jesus into one of the most identifiable Teachings on what it means to follow him in all of the Gospels. And he's clear about what it is. So just some things to notice. He summoned the crowd together with his disciples. Right. So this is not him talking to the disciples. And this is not him talking to the crowds. This is him talking to both. Jesus is talking to those who are already devoted to him. And he is talking to those who have not yet made a decision about whether or not they're going to follow him. Right. So what he's about to say, it is not for Christians. And this is the next level. What he's about to say is for anyone who wants to be his. And in fact, he's clear about that. If anyone wants to come after me. So if someone has a desire and says, I want to follow Jesus, I want to be Jesus, I want to belong to Jesus. Then here's what they have to do. And he's he's emphatic. If anyone. So it's all people. He must. So not he should not. It would be a good idea. Not you should consider it. But but he must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. So if anyone anywhere, anytime wants to belong to Jesus, a part of what they must do is they must deny themselves. Take up their cross and follow Jesus. We must 
deny ourselves, and take up our crosses to follow Jesus. There is no following Jesus without denying ourselves and taking up our cross. We do not belong to Jesus if we have not been willing to deny ourselves, take up our crosses, and follow Jesus. This is not second level. This is not next level Christianity. This isn't I get saved and and I'm going to heaven, but I kind of meander around in nominalism for a while. And then at some point I think I'm going to get serious about Jesus, so I'm going to deny myself and take up my cross and follow Him. This isn't that. This is entry level stuff. If this was a discipleship class in college, this is 101 Christianity. You must deny yourself. We must take up our crosses. We must follow Jesus. But it's important to understand what it means to deny ourselves. Right? Self-denial, as Jesus intends it, isn't sort of a monastic sort of lifestyle. Right? It's not, well, I'm going to take a vow of poverty and I'm going to wear burlap sacks. And if I enjoy myself too much, I'm going to take a flog and I'm going to whip myself in the back because I'm denying myself any sort of pleasure. I'm only going to eat spinach and turkey bacon for life because I don't want to deny myself any sort of pleasure and goodness in life. That's not the point. Self-denial is saying no to ourselves so that we can say yes to Jesus. That's the point. Right? It's not... It's not a monastic life that looks cool. It's not some sort of making my life miserable to show myself that I'm, to show others I'm devoted to Jesus. It is Jesus says, do this, and I don't want to. And so I say no to myself, so I can say yes to Jesus. Or, I want to do this, but Jesus says not to. And so I say no to myself, and yes to to Jesus. This is what self-denial is. Saying no to ourselves so we can say yes to Jesus. To anything Jesus says. And this leads to taking up our crosses. To take up our cross is a, an act of surrender. It is to completely and continually and willingly surrender our lives to Jesus. So self-denial Taking up our cross are two sides of the same coin. It's in some ways saying the same thing in different ways. I say no to myself so I can say yes to Jesus. And I submit to His will completely. Right, Every area of my life. There's no nothing that's off limits. I, I do it continually. I don't just do it today. I do it today and not just even today but right now. And in ten minutes and in an hour. I do it continually over and over through my life. And I do it willingly. Jesus isn't likely to take us down and put his elbow in our temple until we give. What he's most likely to do is say, say no to that and say yes to me. And then he wants us to understand his way is best. He wants us to understand that when he went to the was rejected, suffered many things, was rejected by the elders and the chief priests, the scribes, and was killed. It was for our sin, for us. And we would say, since He has done that for me, how could I say no to Him on anything? And so I say no to myself, and I say yes to Jesus. Denying ourselves and taking up our crosses are so essential to following Jesus that to refuse to do them is to reject Jesus. Let me say that again. Denying ourselves and taking up our crosses are so essential to following Jesus that to refuse to do them is to reject Jesus. It'd be easy for us to say, no, 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 that's not the case. I believe in Jesus, I do. And I love Jesus with all my heart, soul, mind and strength. But 
but I don't really feel a need. Or I don't feel called to deny myself, take up my cross and and follow Jesus. Now, Jesus anticipated this response. Look at what he says in verse 35. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake in the Gospels will save it. Will save it. Jesus explains there are results for saying no to ourselves and yes to him. And there are consequences for saying yes to ourselves and no to him. To say yes to ourselves and no to Jesus is what Jesus calls the first there, saving his life. It's saving our physical life. It's saying, I'm going to save myself and I will go ahead and do what I want to do. So I'm going to save myself for myself and do what I myself want to do. And if I do that, I mean, that's an option because the surrender must be willing. And if I make that decision, then what I'm doing is I am refusing to deny myself. I am refusing to take up my cross and I am refusing to follow Jesus. And Jesus says the, the result, the consequence of this decision is that they lose their life. Yet he doesn't mean physical life. But our eternal life. Our souls, as we'll see in just a minute. So according to Jesus, if I refuse to deny myself and I refuse to take up my cross and I refuse to follow him, I save my life for myself. Then in the end, I lose my soul. So we could say someone who refuses to deny themselves and take up their cross and follow Jesus is not saved. And this is true even if they profess faith in Jesus. Because faith without works is dead. Faith that doesn't move us to live a certain way is not a legitimate faith. It's not a real faith. This is true even if someone may say, well, I know these facts. Jesus died. He was sinless and he was the son of God. And he died for our sins and he rose on the third day. There's that doctrinal issues. I, I believe that. But again, that's not necessarily faith because even the demons believe and tremble. Faith is not in that we say, I believe in Jesus. That's not faith. We can say anything. Faith is not in knowing certain facts are true. That's not faith. Faith is living how we live. That I believe Jesus, so I live for Jesus. And living for Jesus is denying myself, taking up my cross, And following him. Now, on the other hand, if we lose our life for his sake and the gospels, we save it. The life we save isn't our physical life. In fact, as we just heard about with the persecuted Christians, we may lose our physical life in the process. But the life we save is an eternal life. It is our souls. So think of it this way. If we say yes And save our physical lives. We say yes to ourselves. We say no to Jesus. We give up any chance of having eternal life from Jesus. But if we give up our physical lives for the sake of Jesus and the gospel by saying no to ourselves and yes to Jesus, then we gain eternal life in the process. That's what Jesus is saying 
in verse 35. Right? That's not my idea. Those are the words of our Savior. Right? So denying ourselves and taking up our cross and following Jesus are not optional add-ons for Christianity, for salvation. They're basic things that must happen. To use an old preacher cliche, Christianity is not a buffet. We can't go through the teachings of Christ and say, Ooh, peace, I like that, I'm going to take some peace. And joy, I want joy. And, and no judgment, Woo, glory, I don't want to go to hell when I die. Deny yourself, ah, oh, no, 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 I don't want to deny, no, I don't want any of that. I don't want that self-denial, I don't want any of that cross-bearing. I really don't even want to follow Jesus. I just kind of want to be sort of moral. Go to church sometimes. Not do any big sins in public where people can see. And that would be good. I would go to heaven. This this is my Christianity. The reality is that's not Christianity at all. That is idolatry. We are making Jesus in our image. Jesus is this. Jesus is the one who said if we want to come after him, we must deny ourselves, take off our cross, and follow me. And that's what we have to do. To do it any other way is to reject it all. I mean, the reality is we embrace it all or we reject it all. But we can't pick and choose the stuff we like, the stuff that encourages, the stuff that makes us feel all warm and fuzzy on the inside and reject the stuff that's difficult, that we don't like, that conflicts with our flesh and our sinful nature. Denying ourselves Taking up our cross and following Jesus is just as much a part of what it means to be saved by Jesus as believing in Jesus. Faith in Jesus, genuine faith in Jesus, it leads us to recognize what he has done for us as supremely great. I mean, again, you think about what we say we believe. We believe Jesus was God who left the glories of heaven and was born of a virgin. He lived a a sinless life. He did miracles, taught great things, was rejected by all the world around him, was crucified on a cross, died and rose again. But the crucifixion, it wasn't because he was rejected by the people. His crucifixion wasn't because the Romans didn't like him. His crucifixion was the whole point of his birth. He Christmas, the point of Christmas is Easter. The only reason Christmas is significant is because Easter happened. He was born to die. And that death was for us, for our sin. You and I, we sinned against a holy God. And Jesus took that punishment in our place. He endured hell on the cross so that we could be freed of it. How could we say, I believe that? I believe that Jesus is God who came to earth, died for my sin, rose again, and gives me life and truth and justice and righteousness and helps me to live for Him, but I'm only going to do a little bit. I really don't want a whole lot of that. That doesn't even make sense. If we truly believe What we say we believe about who Jesus was and who Jesus did, the only rational response is to do what he says. Right? To deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow him. Not because I said it. Not because we came up with that idea. But because that's what Jesus said it means to follow him. That's what Jesus said it means to come after him. And the one who dies for my sin 
and rises from the dead and gives me righteousness and saves me from judgment and guides me in life gets to tell me what I do. And he gets to tell me what I can't do. And it makes sense to say I either reject him or I receive him. But I can't pick and choose the parts I like and reject the parts I don't. If we don't see the necessity of denying ourselves, taking up our cross to follow Jesus, as Jesus said, we either don't really understand who Jesus is or we don't really understand what Jesus has done. We are letting culture, our sinful nature, our own ideas and not God's word, not Jesus, define what Jesus expects for those who come after him. Now, some may say, well, you don't understand. I mean, you just don't understand what's at stake in my life. If I deny myself, take up my cross and follow Jesus. Jesus anticipates that response as well. Look at verse 37. For what could a person give in exchange for his soul? Oh, I'm sorry, verse 36 and 37. For what does it benefit a person to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? What could a person give in exchange for his soul? Jesus' response could be summarized. Well, you don't understand. You say, well, I don't understand. You don't understand what's, what's at stake if I deny myself, take up my cross and follow Jesus. Jesus summarized. Jesus responds by saying, no, no. You don't, what's un- you don't understand what's at stake if you don't deny yourself. And you don't take up your cross. And you don't follow me. Jesus compares the value of the human soul to the whole world. Now, he's not necessarily referring to the physical world we live in. Rather, he's referring to the spiritual meaning that we find in God's word. Right? Do not love the world nor the things that are in the world. If anyone loves the world, love the Father is not in him. For all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but from the world. This world is passing away, and also its lust, but the one who does the will of God continues to live forever. So John defines the world for us. And he calls it first the lust of the flesh. The lust of the flesh has to do with anything we can touch, taste, smell, hear, and see. We often narrowly define the lust of the flesh to be sexual things. Um, and, and they're certainly included. Sexual sins are included in this, but it's not the full extent of what it means. For our context today, think of the lust of the flesh as all the stuff you want to do. So imagine a scenario where you are physically and financially able to do anything and everything you want to do without limits, without opposition. Just if you think it and you want to do it, you can Skydiving in the Caribbean, no problem, it's there. Breakfast in France, lunch in Spain, dinner in Italy for just in one day, no problem. Compete in and, and win the world's strongest man competition, no problem. Drive in the Indy 500, absolutely, go for it. African safari, bag a trophy, sure, no problem. Take a cruise around the world, all expenses paid, do whatever you want to on that, sure. Not because there are no limits. You're physically and financially able to do them all. Not not even just one of them, but you can do all of them. And anything else you can dream up that you want to do. 
So those may not be the things you would think of, but what would those things be? All the things you just want to do in life. Keep those things in your mind. Because then we come to the, the lust of the eyes. The, pro, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes. The lust of the eyes has to do with anything we can then begin, we can see and then begin to desire. It could be anything. It could be something expressly forbidden by God. It could be something that's good until our desire for it makes it the primary object of our devotion. It could be sexual in nature. It could be materialistic in nature. It could be an object, a person. Uh, it could be a place. It could be anything. For our context today, think of it as all the stuff you can see and then want. So imagine a scenario where you're physically and financially able to have or do anything and everything you see and then want. That private Caribbean island you saw in Island Life, it's yours. Maserati sports car, no problem. A big house with a private beach complete with a full staff so you don't have to cook or clean, absolutely. Man cave with an HD big screen TV the size of the wall with all sports on demand all the time, sure. Again, there's no limits because you're physically and financially able to have them all. Not any one of them, but, but all of them. So what would it be for you if those aren't it? Keep that in your mind. And then the boastful pride of life. The pride of life refers to an arrogant spirit. It's a person completely focused on themselves that desires recognition, attention, and admiration from others. could be about looks, dress, position, skills, ability, social status, or wealth. The phrase pictures a pride in what life can or has offered. Or the pride in what one can or has accomplished. For our context today, think of the pride of life as all the stuff you can be. So imagine a scenario where you're physically and financially able to be anything and everything you want to be. President of the United States, probably better than who's going to run the next time. Ruler of your own Caribbean island, no problem. Astronaut, you're the next person in space. Rock star, absolutely. Movie star, no problem. Again, there's no limits. Because you're physically and financially able to do them all. What, what would it be for you? So... The lust of the world is the lust of the flesh that says anything I want, I can have. The lust of the eyes, anything I can see, I can acquire. Pride of life, anything I want to be, I can be. So now look again at what Jesus said in verse 36 and 37. For what does it benefit a person to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? What could a person give in exchange for his soul? If you did everything you ever wanted to do. You acquired everything you ever saw and desired. And you became everything you ever wanted to become. But lost your soul in the process. Because you refused to deny yourself. Take up your cross. And follow Jesus. It would not be worth it. Your soul is worth more than all you can see and desire. Your soul is worth more than anything you could ever possibly do. Your soul is worth more than anything accomplishment you could ever have. Not only is your soul worth more than all of those things individually, your soul is worth more than all of those things combined. If you could have everything you ever wanted 
And you could do everything you ever wanted. And you could acquire anything you ever saw. And you could become everything you ever wanted. Not one or the other, but all of them. And if in the process of that, you said yes to yourself, but no to Jesus, and lost your soul, you made a poor choice. You are trading the eternal, your soul, for the temporary Things of the world. Look again at what John says up there. The world is passing away and also its lusts. But the one who does the will of God continues forever. Nothing the world offers lasts forever. But your soul will last forever. To trade your soul for something temporary is the worst trade you could make. If I had a Maserati sports car and I traded it for a piece of lint out of somebody's pocket and began to brag about it, you would think what a fool I was. But to trade our soul for the temporary things of the world makes trading a Maserati for lint the deal of the century. There is nothing that this world offers that is worth even remotely as much as your soul, much less more. One of the many reasons for this is because of the difference between eternity and the passing nature of this life. This life is a passing blip on the frame of eternity. This life will end. Eternity will not. People who died a thousand years ago are still in whatever eternity their actions and life chose for them. And in another thousand years, they will still be in whatever eternity the actions of their life chose. The only difference will be we will have moved into eternity with them. Not only will we have joined them in eternity, but all the stuff we wanted and all the stuff we saw and all the accomplishments we longed for will have passed away and long been forgotten. Many of us know what I'm about to say, but it can always be a tough pill to swallow. It won't take a thousand years for all we've done, all we've acquired and all we've become to be forgotten. For most of us, it'll be forgotten a few years after we died. And really, most of the stuff we've done, acquired or become is forgotten a few years from now before we've died. I thought about my experiences in life as I studied this message. I thought high school was the greatest time of my life until I joined the army. And then I thought the army was the greatest time of my life until I started college. And then I started college was the greatest time of my life until I started dating Kelly. And then I thought dating Kelly was the greatest time of my life until we were married. And then I thought being young and married was the greatest time of my life until we had kids. And then I thought being married with infants was the greatest time of my life until we had toddlers. And then I thought being married with toddlers was the greatest time of my life until they had till we had teenagers. And then I realized toddlers really were the greatest time of my life. No, just kidding. Just kidding. Sort of. The point is. All the stuff that's not Jesus that seems so valuable now. Will not have the same value to you in a few years. Since even you and I, since even we will not value these things in a few years. Why would we trade our souls for those things? 
Why trade our souls for things even we will not find valuable in just a few years from now? Much less in all of eternity. Therefore, we must deny ourselves, take up our crosses and follow Jesus. Now, in this, there's a response we have to make. And I think there are three possible responses and we'll go through them quickly. First response. I do try to live this way. For those who would say they try to live this way. I would say keep going. You're on the right path. For this is the path Jesus leads everyone who comes to him. This is the path the Apostle Paul traveled. We know he traveled this path because he said things like to live as Christ, to die as gain. He said that he considered the sufferings of this present life nothing when compared to the glory that was to come. Living this kind of life is what inspired one songwriter to write the beloved words. It will be worth it all when we see Jesus. Life's trials will seem so small when we see Christ. One glimpse of his dear face, all sorrow will erase. So bravely run the race till we see Christ. Never give up. It will be worth it all. Now keep in mind, there will be times when you fail to live this way. And don't let those moments keep you down. Recognize the sin of the decision. Recognize the sin of saying yes to ourselves and no to Jesus. Confess it as sin to Jesus. And trust the promise that if we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And then deny yourself, pick your cross back up, and take off following Jesus. Another possible response is to say, I I, I want to live this way. Now, there are likely many who would say, I, I want to live this way, but, but what I've described, you think this is impossible. I don't know that I can live this way. And I'm not going to lie to you and say it's an easy way of life. Anytime I hear people say being a Christian is easy, I wonder if they've ever actually read the Bible. I won't even give you a pep talk. Rah, 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 you can do it. Because here's the reality. You can't. What an encouraging message, right? But here's the reality. You can't. But let me clarify. You can't do it on your own. You can't do it in your own strength and in your own power and in your own force of will. I know Philippians 4.13 has been put on coffee mugs and bumper stickers to the point it's almost a cliche. But you really can do all the things Jesus wants you to do in his strength and in his power. This is something Jesus wants you to do. Jesus wants you to deny yourself. He wants you to take up your cross. He wants you to follow him. Therefore, he will always empower you to do this. But we do need to seek him to get the help. But we're promised. We have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the son of God. We can hold firmly to our confession of faith. We don't have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. But one who has been tempted in all things just as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with confidence that we may receive mercy and find grace to help at the time of our need. Jesus, our great high priest, who has faithfully done everything the Father wanted, including denying himself, literally taking up his cross and going the way the Father planned for him. He was even tempted as we are. Let's not forget the night in Gethsemane when he prayed, Father, if there's another way for this to happen, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, he says, not as I will. But as you will. In the end, Jesus surrendered his will. He said no to himself and yes to the Father. And he took up his cross and did what the Father wanted him to do. 
He has felt our pain. He sympathizes with our weaknesses. He understands the struggle we face in that. And because of that, He's able to help us in our time of need. He's able to give us the guidance we need to make the right decision. He's able to encourage us to keep going. He's able to give us the strength we need to do the things that need to be done. If you realize, as you look at this, this is the way I'm supposed to live, but I I just am afraid I can't do it. Hold on to that. Hold on to that weakness. And let it drive you to the cross, though. Don't let the weakness cause you to pull back and say, I can't, I'm not even going to try. Instead, let that weakness push you to the cross and push you to Jesus where you cry out and you find mercy and grace to help you in your time of need. Third way we can respond. I refuse to live this way. For those who would say they're not even going to try to live this way, I want to reiterate what's at stake in this decision. And I want you to urge, I want to urge you to reconsider There is nothing you'll give up in denying yourself, taking up your cross and following Jesus that's worth more than your eternal soul. Now some would push back and say, there's no way the pursuit of the stuff I want to do, the stuff I want to acquire, the stuff I want to be will cost me my soul like you're saying. And I simply want to respond by saying it's not me saying it. It's Jesus. And if He is the Son of God who died on the cross for our sins and rose again on the third day, And he has a right to set the standard and to set the boundaries and to say what must be done. This is what Jesus says in this passage. In fact, Jesus is so strong about this is what he says in this passage. He said, for whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the son of man will be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his father with his holy angels. Here's what he's saying. It is so sure that we must deny ourselves and take up our cross to follow him or we'll lose our soul. That if some of us would say, that's a hard saying. I don't want to tell somebody that because that's kind of embarrassing to say you've got to say no to yourself and yes to Jesus and you're going to lose your soul. I don't want to talk like that to people. It'll scare them. It'll, it's a little too harsh. It's a little too much. Jesus says that's being ashamed of his words. If we let the sinful generation around us make us ashamed of his words, then in the end what's going to happen is he's going to be ashamed of us. At His second coming when He comes. This is not only something that all of us as disciples of Jesus must do, but if we are disciples of Jesus, we must teach this as well. Someone were to say to us tomorrow, what does it mean to believe in Jesus? And all the things that we tell, we would have to tell them. And a part of what this means is that if you want to come after Jesus, you must deny yourself, take up your cross, and you must follow Him. And if you refuse to do that, you'll lose your soul in the process. This isn't the only time Jesus makes this sort of a statement. Jesus says we're not to store up treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. Rather, we're to store up treasures in heaven where moth and rust can't destroy, where thieves can't break in and steal. For your treasure is that your heart be also. And one of the ways we store up treasures in heaven is by denying ourselves, taking up our cross and follow Jesus. Say no to ourselves and we say yes to Jesus. Now, the saying, and again, I don't have time for this, but... Where your heart is, that's where your treasure will be. So where's your heart? You know, a good way to find out where your heart is is to find out what you think about the most. I mean, in in the unguarded moments where you're just sitting there and your mind is running loose and running free, where does it go? 
Does it go to all the stuff you want to do? All the stuff you want to acquire and all the stuff you want to be? Or does it go to Jesus, who He is and what He's done? In reality, that reveals much about where our treasure is. And the reason this matters is because Jesus says we can't serve God and mammon in Matthew 6 and 24. Mammon represents all the stuff we want to do and all the stuff we want to acquire and all the stuff we want to be. And I can't pursue that and Jesus at the same time. And if we reject this, I'm not going to take up my cross. I'm not going to deny myself. I'm not going to follow Jesus. That reveals who we serve in our lives, regardless of what we may say with our mouth. Now, when I say I'm urging you to reconsider, I'm not urging you to try harder or to be more moral or to be more religious. I'm urging you to come to Jesus and be born again. For when you come to Jesus to be born again, He will change your thinking. And you'll see, man, the one who died for me, His way is for sure best. When we come to Jesus and are born again, He will change our will and we will try to live this way. When we come to Jesus, He will change our desires. We, we want to live this way. If your initial reaction to what we've talked about this morning is to reject it and say, no, that's not for me. I do want to be clear. You don't need moral reform today. You don't need to turn over a new leaf. You don't need to be more religious. You don't need to be try harder. You very simply, you must be born again. You are still lost and in your sins and you need Jesus to save you. To be saved by Jesus, you must believe in Jesus. Believing in Jesus is more than believing there's a God out there somewhere. It's even more than believing that there was a Jesus who existed. Faith involves the heart, the mind, and the will. The mind learns what Jesus did. That He was rejected, suffered many things, and died and rose again for us. The mind says that's true. That's what Jesus did for me. The heart is a part of it. The heart says, I, I want the Jesus who died for me. I, I want the one who has loved me this much. I want the salvation and the forgiveness he offers. But then there's the will. The will makes the final and lasting decision. It's possible that our minds can accept the truth of Jesus' death and resurrection for our sins. It's possible the heart can want the forgiveness and the salvation Jesus offers. And then the will say, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to reach out and take hold of Jesus. And without the will reaching out and taking hold of Jesus, there is no salvation. There is a difference between illumination, coming to understand, and regeneration, being born again. There is a difference between, being, between conviction... Understanding that Jesus died for me and in that weighing on my heart and regeneration being born again. And the difference is the will to reach out and take hold of Jesus and what he offers. 
to reach out and take hold of Jesus, we have to let go of our self-righteousness. All of us as humans are naturally self-righteous. We think we're good enough. Or and if we're not, we can fix it on our own. And we have to let go of that. We can't hold on to our self-righteousness and our self-will and grab a hold of Jesus at the same time. We have to let go of one and grab hold of the other. And we have to make this decision intentionally. And we have to make it personally. These two things are really important. No one can choose Jesus on your behalf. Each of us must do it for ourselves. Secondly, no one chooses Jesus accidentally. It is an intentional and personal decision. That each of us must make. We make it on our own. And so I'm pleading with you this morning. Don't trade your soul. For what the world entices you to do. What the world entices you to acquire. And what the world entices you to become. Say no to yourself and yes to Jesus this morning. Flee to Jesus and let him save your soul. The first way to say no to yourself and yes to Jesus is to say no to that part of you right now that's saying, I don't want to, I'm not going to go to Jesus. And say yes to Jesus by going to Him and taking hold of what He offers. Let's stand. The heads bowed and with eyes closed. This is the heart of the service where we need to respond. We've Talked about what Jesus said. We've seen the ways we can respond. We've understood the response is personal and individual. But now is the time to respond. Each of us must respond. So how are we going to respond today? I urge. Come to Jesus. Surrender to Jesus. Recommit to Jesus. Whatever your need is with Jesus today, He's there. He's here calling on you to come to Him. I'll pray and we'll have a time of response. Father, we love you today. You are great and glorious and wonderful and worthy. We thank you for your word. Lord, it's so contrary to our wisdom and our flesh. We'd never come up with these thoughts on our own about what it is to live for Jesus. We'd make Jesus after our image. We'd make Him want us to do what whatever we wanted to do. Thank You, Father, for Your Spirit that takes these words and applies them to our hearts and to our lives. Father, forgive us for the times that we have said no to Jesus and yes to ourselves. Forgive me for the times that I've said no to Jesus and yes to myself. Lord, I don't know what's going on in anybody's heart today. But I know all of us. We need more of Jesus and Jesus needs more of us. So let us say yes to Jesus this morning. Let us say yes to growing deeper in Christ. Let us say yes in recommitting our life to Christ. 
Let us say yes in coming to Christ for the first time and being born again. Have your way in all our hearts and all our lives. We ask in Jesus' name for his sake. Amen.